0: Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to The Future of Education. It's Thursday, December 16th, 2010. We're delighted you're with us here. Our special guest today is Alfie Cohn, the author of many, many books. Welcome, Alfie. Thank, thank, you. thank you. So I, t- to call you prolific, I don't think would do justice to both the volume and clarity of your writing. But really, it is amazing. And you can see I put your books there. Hope I didn't miss any. <laughs> Did I miss Can you tell? Is it an even number?
1: Uh, they lost. They lost. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's see. see. Uh, you yeah. certainly you have enough.
0: enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. Future of Education is sponsored by Illuminate My Employer. The project I work on is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators that has Illuminate baked in. We hope you'll come and play with it. The EduBlog Awards were last night. What a lot of fun. Uh, Glad to be able to co-host that and co-sponsor it uh, through Classroom 2.0. If you want to click on the link, there are lots of great blogs, tweeters, wikis, social media folks to check out there. Um, I'll say with some humility that we swept the webinar series, uh, which was to my great delight, um, but also really fun just because I think we've made a difference with this format. Coming up on the future of education, we do have a little bit of a break until January. Ira David Sokol on the 11th, Will Richardson on the 18th, Barnett Berry on the 20th. Karen Cater is going to come talk about the 2010 EdTech Plan. That should be really interesting on the 24th. You can see Karen Hume then in February David Perkins Sandy Hershon Libraries. That schedule will fill out as we get uh, into the new year. Lots of fun coming up. If you've missed a session, they are all recorded. This earlier this week, on Tuesday we talked to Deborah Meyer Classic, well worth listening to. Before that, Julie Young from Florida Virtual School, Karen Egan. Uh, Phil Schlechte, Matt Levinson, lots of uh, really diverse and interesting thoughts about the future of education. Hope there's something there that you find interesting. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is participative. Uh, There are a variety of ways for you to indicate how you're feeling at the bottom of your participant window. There's a smiley face clapping hand, a confused look, or a thumbs down. The larger icon with the hand and the green up arrow, that's how you would raise your hand to ask a question of Alfie when we get the Q&A. If you think you'd like to do that by the microphone, at this time, go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your microphone is working well. I find it easiest in the chat to follow the chat if I go up to View Layouts, and I switch to the Wide Layout. So up at the top of your screen, view layouts, switch to the wide layout, and you'll see um, uh, the chat window um, quite a bit larger. Now we're going to give you a chance to participate right off the bat by indicating where you're listening from. Look for the wand with the red star at the end, it's to the left of the map, click on that, and then click on the map. Got Australia, that might be... France or UK. I know we had Netherlands, maybe Austria. Feel free to shout out in the chat. Let us know where you are based, maybe what the time and the temperature are. This is actually a, a Europe-friendly time for us, not a normal time. So we're not getting you up in the middle of the night. A big star in Brazil, maybe? Well, wherever you are participating from, we are sure glad to have you. And Alfie, thanks so much again for coming on.
1: Uh, my, pleasure. my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs>
0: So when you and I talked last, it was part of a special show we did with Edutopia called uh, Elevate Ed, sort of uh, an attempt to talk about the education reform dialogue um, with a different perspective. I listened to that again, or you you're, you were on at the very beginning, the, the 15 minutes that you were on. And you were, you were really quite passionate. And I'm hoping that you'll bring that same passion today and talk about this. But I noticed you used words like dark period uh, of corporate-style school reform. You talked about kids being seen as the enemy or teachers being seen as the enemy. Um, Are you feeling as passionate today as you were a few weeks ago, and do you really see this as a critical period of time?
1: Uh, Yes. Nothing has changed of substance in the last few weeks except in so far that one's passion can reflect the state of one's digestion or how well one slept the night before, but the objective situation remains pretty much uh, uh, what it's been uh, and uh, what it appears to be heading toward for some time unless we collectively stop it. Um, anyone who's even remotely familiar with my work knows um, uh, the nature Uh, of my objection. And it's an objection uh, shared by uh, uh, a significant number of working educators, that there is um, um, very little interest in promoting the things most of us care about, which is children's love of learning and ability to think uh, deeply and critically. Um, Instead, there is a top-down. Uh, corporate style focus that has more to do with economic needs than with children's needs uh, and is focused more on test scores than on understanding ideas from the inside out and where teachers are seen as uh, objects to be, to be manipulated or discarded at will based on how much they've contributed to an agenda set by distant authorities. So I I, I don't think it's an overstatement to call this a a dark period. And that means one where collective action, uh, rather than quiet, solitary despair, is more important than ever.
0: Well, I think we'll get to some of your ideas about what what we can do at this time. But it does seem as though, in your writings, you kind of balance this need to get by with how things are going, and at the same time, working toward long-term progress. Um, is there more of an urgency, say, in 2010 than there has been in the last 10 years? Do you feel like things are getting substantively worse? Uh, I look at the news, and I, and I really worry about our understanding of sort of democratic principles and what, you know, sort of how we think in a larger way.
1: Uh, yes, uh, I think there. you could probably trace this, and someday educational historians uh, will uh, trace this, um, uh, in terms of separate periods where, for example, there was a growing focus on test scores, uh, competition, um, top-down control of curriculum, and the like. Uh, through the 80s and 90s. And then there was a big jump, in about the year 2000, 2001, uh, when the Many Children Left Behind Act uh, came into being, uh, requiring uh, that all students uh, become proficient, meaning have high test scores, not be able to think well. Um, uh, By the year 2014, and requiring tests to be given every year to kids, uh, and then things got considerably worse as that act and its implementation sunk in. And um, and then things, I think, got significantly worse again uh, with the Obama administration, intensifying the worst uh, so-called school reform uh, approach of the Bush administration, uh, now joined with a lofty chorus from uh, various uh, uh, billionaires and uh, the the uh, mass media, all in the name of what 's called school reform, so as things have gotten worse, it follows that the urgency of rebellion on the part of teachers students and uh, and parents who understand what 's going on uh, as to form a counterweight to what's being done.
0: So Alfie, I want to put this in some context, I think, historically as well. And um, I, I, I got to know you really through a Deming first and uh, your book, No Contest. Uh-huh. So, um, And what's intriguing to me about this is I feel as though the points that you made in No Contest and that were so significant in the total quality movement are still not broadly adopted or understood in business, do we face the same kind of dilemma in education? I mean, is this going to be a forever struggle of different views of how life works?
1: Uh, whether it's a forever struggle or not, I don't know. Uh, there are certain commonalities between business and schools, uh, such that rewards and punishments don't make sense in either place, such that uh, people on the bottom of the hierarchy need to have more say over what they do as opposed to top-down control such that collaboration makes more sense than competition and so on. And I think you're quite right that these ideas uh, face an uphill struggle uh, in the corporate world uh, as surely as they do in the educational world. But I would add to this, and you may disagree with me, um, that there is an additional wrinkle here that any set of models and metaphors from the business world, even the good ones, like those espoused by the late uh, W. Edwards Deming, are problematic when imported into classrooms. So for example, uh, floating around on the web recently, there has been a, uh, a YouTube video uh, which shows uh, children in a second grade classroom Uh, being led through a review of their data showing uh, increased proficiency on umpteen different measures. And it it looks like a parody. Uh, It's horrifying to think that um, uh, people are turning children into numbers and reducing their learning to quantitative measures and bringing them into this process. Um, And it represents the worst of the so-called data-driven approach now that's closely tied to standardized testing but it actually reminded me of one of the excesses of the Deming movement about 15 years ago where they were turning little children into customers and using uh, Deming charts of the kind that might be used at at Magnavox or Ford Motor to talk about the process of learning and so I think there is uh, a a specific objection that must be raised by anyone with a humanistic sensibility to uh, appropriating any corporate sensibility, even a relatively enlightened one, um, in in the context of having children make sense of ideas. However, having said that, I want to repeat that I think Deming himself was Opposed to grades and standardized test scores and competition, and that someone who understood deming 's work correctly would have shared more with me in terms of an outlook toward education uh, than not. i'll
0: certainly say that was true for me. My, you know, one of the things I loved about Deming was this sense of that it wasn 't that it was a very human understanding, an understanding of us as human beings and the need to involve those who are doing the work in the construction of how the work is done and collaborating together. And and I still hear great echoes in that work to the kinds of things you talk about in terms of teachers being involved in decision-making at schools and students being involved in decision-making. Again, with care and making parallels, um, I, I, I felt there was a, a lot I learned from you at that period of time. Again, wondering about the sort of larger mm-hmm. question of, uh, are these different world views that will be hard to reconcile?
1: Yeah, by the way, for uh, we may be talking to each other now, I'm not sure how many participants here uh, are familiar with Deming's work or particularly care about the appropriateness or lack of same of, of, of what he had to say, since his uh, impact and influence in the corporate world has Uh, has sadly faded and began fading right around the time of his death because it was a hard sell in America. Uh, It was was easier to talk about systemic causes of problems instead of blaming everything on individuals in Japan uh, than in the United States. But for those who are interested, I wrote an article for educational leadership uh, called Turning Learning into a Business, Concerns About Quality Management at School back in 1993 and that's on my website if people are interested which is alfiecone.org but I think there are broadly speaking uh, different different uh, world views if you like uh, that show up with in parenting in managing in teaching and in other areas of, of human life where They don't map out neatly one on the other, of course. But uh, it's very much like, as, as somebody just indicated in a written comment on this page, treating students as human beings. It's about treating people as subjects as opposed to objects and supporting their autonomy rather than focusing on getting them to comply. It's about humanistic goals. What are we looking for here? Is it ultimately just about uh, economic outcomes or is it about helping people to reach their potential as human beings? Uh, do we have a world view in which we see one another as rivals as opposed to collaborators? And, and each of these dichotomies, admittedly simplified, plays out in different ways when we're talking about school reform or whether we're talking about um, uh, management models for that matter. So
0: I. Um I read your introduction to a book called Turning Points. It's an anthology of educators talking about their own stories, and and you describe a little bit of mm-hmm. your own story in that introduction, and, and this was interesting to me because uh, I have this image of you being in high school and experiencing things and kind of rolling your eyes and saying this doesn't make any sense. I don't think I, I think I was so busy trying to be what I was expected to be. I can't even imagine myself rolling my eyes. But have you always been Uh kind of objective? Have you always had this sense of these things don't make sense?
1: Well, I sometimes tell the story when I was in fifth grade. I was given the usual kind of busy work to do, uh, as we all were in the class. And I one day neatly headed my paper with my name and the date and the heading busy work. And then proceeded to do the garbage the teacher required. Uh, this did not uh, go over well with the uh, with the teacher. And uh, when she called me up to her desk, I was half hoping she would congratulate me on my um, depth of understanding of the limits of her curriculum. But that turned out not to be the reason she called me up at all. Uh, but that was uh, you know 40 uh, some years ago, and I'm offering the same critique. So I did okay in school. I kept up with what I needed to do. I took um, uh, consolation where I could from little sparks of intellectual interest. But um, at the same time, I did roll my eyes. I did make sarcastic comments. I did have a sense that there was something lacking here, although I obviously lacked the, the context, the sense of comparison. You know, you, you ask a kid, uh, what do you do when you meet uh, a friend's child? You know, or, or where are you in school? And they tell you the name of the school. and What grade are you in? I'm in ninth grade. Oh, how do you like that school? You know, what every kid should say here is, as compared to what? You know, this is, for most kids, the only school or school system Uh, they've ever been to, and if they have been to another one, it's still the same basic model of education. So I was at a meeting at my daughter's high school with some other teachers and parents and and students who were trying to address the causes of stress, and it became so clear that most of the people in the room had never considered that you could have school without homework or grades or tests or a place where kids were invited to participate in thinking about the curriculum. Uh, you know, this is just like from some other planet. And so I guess I was lucky enough at an early age, even without uh, being particularly well read about education or visiting other, other areas, um, to have the sense that this is not the way things have to be. And therefore we have an opportunity, uh, if not an obligation, uh, to offer a critical response to this. And one way or another, I've been doing that uh, for a long time and inviting people to ask the radical questions, that is to say, the questions of the root, you know not merely how much homework, but why should kids have to work a second shift at all uh, after they spend six hours a day in school, especially given that research really doesn't support the value of doing that, or not just are we grading students fairly but why aren't we doing authentic assessment instead of reducing kids to letters and numbers? Even if people don't end up agreeing with the alternatives that I and others propose, I guess I spend most of my days uh, urging people to consider that most of what we take for granted about education uh, is contingent. It is. Uh, avoidable if we decide that makes sense. So
0: it feels like there's a larger theme here, and I'm just so fascinated by it. Uh, In your book, you know what they say. You you come up with, you look at all of these truisms, and and you say, well, you know, these aren't in fact actually true. They're not true. It's a truism, but it's not true. And it feels as though you have this unique ability to say some of the things that we believe, maybe many of them, are actually mistaken ideas. Is that just a part of your Mm -hmm. personality to be able to see with some clarity things that other people just kind of adopt?
1: No, it's part of my personality to want to do that, but it takes no special personality or skill, I might add, uh, to ask the question to to decide whether it's true. I I mean, I'm always intrigued when it, it dawns on me that common sense and or research point in one direction, but our practices are pulling in the other. Uh, and that's, I mean, I'm sure that's true in architecture or dentistry, that I, where I know nothing, uh, but uh, it's certainly true in all kinds of aspects of child development and education. Uh, where, for example, we've known for, for decades that one of the worst things you can do with kids who are having trouble in school is flunk them and force them to repeat a grade. And as that research has been accumulating, so has the practice of forcing kids to repeat a grade in the name of avoiding social promotion and ensuring rigor and accountability. And there are other examples as well. I think homework is one of them, um, where the more we become aware, or conceivably if we put our minds to it, could become aware of what the data say and what could our, our basic values point toward, the more we do the reverse, and so I just make a big fuss and tell, ask people why we're doing this since we don't have to. So I don't think I don't think that takes any particular talent uh, to spot um, the difference between common practice and um, and and what what we ought to do. The other divergence that I like to that I focus on and have been doing for years is to invite people to think about their long-term goals for kids, for their own kids in the case of parents, and for uh, their students in the case of educators. And, um, and I, I just ask them, how do you hope your kids will turn out? And when I'm doing this in a group, and I've done this hundreds of times, I just make a list of what they say. And the list, by the way, is remarkably consistent from one group to another, urban schools, suburban, rural, uh, different ethnicities, uh, elementary, secondary, teachers, administrators, parents. And I make the list. And then I pick something on the list and try to show that our common practices are undermining the very things that you just said you want, never mind what I want. So you have to make a choice. Are you gonna pursue your long-term goals for how you hope the kids turn out? Or are you simply gonna keep perpetuating these practices because people tell you to or it's always been done that way? You basically have to choose. And these are levers that I'm using in effect. Levers to invite people to make significant change in a way that will make sense to them merely as opposed to merely being something that I prescribe
0: or recommend? Well, I don't know of what it was in particular about really reviewing your material, but it sort of struck me dumb that there's so much that we do that doesn't make sense. You know, I almost had this feeling mm-hmm. like most of what we do doesn't make sense, and really appreciated kind of the clarity of looking at, OK, so what are the big mistaken ideas? And if we really drill down on them specifically, what what should we be doing? So, I, you know, we have limited time, but I would like to to maybe talk about what I think you identify as some of the main mistaken ideas about children and about education. Um, and and can we start with the myth of competition?
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, in many of these ideas, I think one can offer a critique. I want to say this by way of overview, uh, based on what research finds. Uh, often challenging our empirical assumptions about what's true, and on the other hand talking about our basic values, uh, where you can't prove them true or false. You can merely make an appeal that if this is your basic value, then uh, this practice doesn't make sense. So most of the things, not all, but most of the things I talk about, I think you could come at it both ways. I'll take the example of homework again. Um, On the one hand, you can make an empirical critique of homework that it really isn't necessary or even often useful for helping to promote academic achievement. And here's what the research says. Um, But you could also say, never mind the research. Uh, Schools ought not to be telling children and their parents what the children have to do when the kids aren't even at school. That's not for the school to determine, even if it did help. And you could say the same about many other things as well. You know, you could say that about spanking children. Research shows that, that, that using physical violence on kids uh, doesn't uh, improve their behavior for more than a couple of minutes, and it certainly doesn't help them become responsible, generous, ethical people. Quite the opposite, it makes them more aggressive, and so on. But otherwise, you could come at this and say, um, uh, I don't care what the research says. Uh, it It is indefensible to use physical force on a child for any reason, and uh, that's a long preamble, but I think this is true for competition as well. You could make a case that in general, a competition is not a particularly constructive or humane or desirable way to set up any environment a family, uh, a classroom, a workplace, a society, so that you make various things that people want and need artificially scarce, so that if I get it, it reduces or eliminates the chance that you get it. And thus, I have to look at you and you look at me as obstacles to each other's success, as opposed to, ideally, a collaborative environment uh, where we see each other as potential helpers or friends. That is just intrinsically more desirable if if it's possible to contrive such an arrangement. But that's different from a different approach to competition, which is what I spend more time on, frankly, in my book on this topic. That competition doesn't even make sense from a practical angle. That research finds that when we compete, we end up feeling worse about ourselves, worse about one another, uh, and we end up achieving at lower levels because people end up typically being more productive and successful uh, when they are able to work together as opposed to work uh, against one another. And by the way, it also reduces one's interest in the task such that people who compete tend to see the task pretty quickly as a means to the end of victory, thereby devaluing the task itself. So that if the task happens to be learning, for example, the best way to make people lose interest in learning is to set up a contest of some kind. So, I mean, I can ramble on forever about any of these these issues, which I, as you know, feel somewhat passionately about. But again, uh, the more we, accumulate evidence and logic arguing against, say, competition, the more competitive our society seems to become, as if we're addicted to this zero-sum way of setting up everything, um, from how we have a good time in the weekend, to how we structure our economic system, to how we think about education. And education, in turn, cleaves into talking about setting kids against one another in spelling bees and math olympiads and science fairs. All are about winning, really, not about learning. If you're lucky, if some learning happens along the way. But it's mostly about sorting kids into winners and losers. All the way up to the big picture policy stuff, like Arnie Duncan saying, we're going to make states compete against each other to see who gets desperately needed funding on the basis of their mindless compliance to top-down prescriptions for how to set things up in education. You know, every time we have an awards assembly in a school, we are helping to socialize children to accept a model of the world as both desirable and inevitable where we have to defeat one another. And I think that's something we can and should stop. And so also- I don't want to
0: oversimplify, but uh, it, it felt to me, because you talk about in the myth of competition, about praise and rewards, give this great, you know, mm-hmm. the great story, if if people haven't read it, please, in Punished by Rewards, look for the story of the old man and the kids throwing stones. And you talk about, about homework mm-hmm. and standards and accountability. Uh, it's hard for me not to see a common thread here of these mistaken beliefs are, are. um almost feel as though they're time savers, they're cheats, they're shortcuts, and the truth is that there's really hard work to getting to the better solutions, but these are kind of easy ways to go. Is that too simple?
1: Um, I have to think about that some. Uh, There's a generic level at which that's true, merely because we've always been doing them, at least in our culture. So anything that's familiar to us and where structures and systems have grown up around these beliefs, uh, it sort of becomes the path of least resistance as compared to questioning and looking for a new way. Now whether there's a second level at which that's true because it is specifically easier to to do this practice than to do something else, I think it depends on the practice. Uh, the example you gave uh, of rewards, which is similar to but logically distinct from awards, where competition is involved, uh, I think yes, it is also true. Uh, it To help kids develop an engagement with mathematics or with writing or a foreign language takes time and care and talent and courage because you have to be willing to rethink your own assumptions and what you're asking kids to do to improve what you're teaching and how you're teaching it. But to offer kids an A or a gold star or a good job or a dollar or a scholarship if they jump through your hoops uh, takes no time, no care, no talent, and certainly no courage, because you're just continuing the status quo. And I think that's true for parents. I wrote a whole book for parents that talks about moving away from rewards and punishment. And I acknowledge that good parenting where you work with children to help them solve problems and grow into good people, it's tough. It's it's the hardest job. Whereas to say to kids, you know, if you do this I'll give you that or the flip side of rewards a punishment, if you don't do this, here's what I'm going to do to you, is I think you're absolutely right. Um, it doesn't prove effective in the long run. In fact, it's counterproductive. Rewards and punishments of all kinds are, at home, at school, at work. But in the short run, it asks much less of us, as parents, as teachers, as managers, a doing-to solution does as compared to a working-with approach. And yes, I think you're right, that's part of the appeal. Whether that's true of every practice uh, that I uh, criticize, that it is popular just because it's easy, I'm not sure. I, I would, I would want to go through each one of them and analyze it carefully before I didn't
0: mean to put yes. you in a, in a spot there. And, and I'm sure it's nuanced, uh, and I was actually reflecting on my own role as father in the times when knowing that there's a fair amount of hard work getting to the collaborative and the autocratic control is actually, although maybe not consciously, you know, an easier solution. Do you think this is in some way uniquely American or uniquely a Western character trait? Is there something about our culture that uh, would lead us toward these kinds of Uh, ways of talking about really important issues on a surface and non-substantive level?
1: I don't have the knowledge base cross-culturally to be able to sign off on that generalization. There are many things about Western culture and even more about America that strike me as uniquely problematic but i'm not sure we're more superficial than the rest of the world in our analysis of these ideas
0: i'm thinking specifically of finland which often gets kind of touted for its educational success and i we could talk mm-hmm. about just the, even the measurement of that but but you but i watched the videos or the reports on finland and it just feels like kind of a richer deeper practice like i think you find in a lot of schools here in the united states that just don't get promoted or aren't that visible in fact Deborah Meyer said a couple of days ago she feels like those schools almost have to hide because they you know they otherwise yeah. they won't survive. But I'm just curious if if you if you see other places where there are certain cultural supports for being more thoughtful than you've seen maybe necessarily in your own communities.
1: Um it's an interesting question and I'd be I'd be intrigued at uh, we have people from other countries t- today participating in this uh colloquy who may have more to say about this than I do. Uh I think you're you're right that there is thoughtfulness uh in in many subcultures within the United States in terms of economics. Uh, sorry, with respect to education. Um I certainly see it in both public schools and independent schools, and often, I think more commonly, I will find Im- incredibly thoughtful teaching going on in one or two classrooms of an otherwise traditional school, rather than seeing an entire school that I think has it right, for obvious reasons. Um, and the question then is, what's stopping us from doing that? Why why aren't we more thoughtful? and uh, that's similar to the question of why, if, if research overwhelmingly demonstrates that a traditional approach to education uh, isn't particularly effective by meaningful criteria, why does progressive education always struggle for a hearing? Why do people have to hide? Why is it still so rare? And I, I wrestle with this question in my book, The Schools Our Children Deserve. And I also elicit responses to that provocative question whenever I speak to educators and parents, and I get some pretty predictable but interesting answers to it, which I think are at least analogous to the answers one would supply to your question about thoughtful education in general. Part of it is uh, traditional education is a lot easier to do if you're a teacher. You stay one chapter ahead of the kids. Uh, You don't have to know much about math to teach kids to memorize algorithms for a test. You have to really understand math better in order to help kids construct meaning around the concept of place value uh, or whatever. You also have to be willing to give up some control uh, in progressive education or good parenting. whereas And that's, that's challenging to a lot of people to give up control. And that's not just about it being easier or quicker. Um, there's more to it than that in terms of the willingness to uh, to relinquish power. Um, and I think there are many other things too, especially when we're talking about education. Uh, for example, progressive education is based on asking deep questions and being truly critical thinkers, which raises the question, does this country with its power structure want really critical thinkers? Um, I just posted a tweet today, as a matter of fact, uh, saying in a slightly different way something I've been saying for a long time. That's one of the challenges of of Twitter, is to try to say something worth saying in 140 characters. But but what I said was that depth of thinking and and joy of learning uh, are undermined principally maybe, at least one major factor in undermining them is framing education primarily in economic terms. If you are talking about global competitiveness for the 21st century, then you are likely to support practices that will make education worse. Because you're not focused on what supports a democracy. And you're not focused on what supports helping children to become decent people who love learning, and think deeply, and are responsible and compassionate. You're focused on the specific dispositions and skills that future employees will need in order to boost the return on investment of corporate entities so they can triumph over their counterpart from other countries. So if you're someone like Thomas Friedman, if you're almost any a, 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 a columnist for a newspaper or a politician, you are already likely to support bad educational practices because you construe education as glorified vocational training. If you're talking about dollars and cents as the as the raison d'etre of, of education, I'm already worried. And so stupid standardized tests, as well as bribes and threats to compel people to raise their scores on those tests. That's just the mechanism. That's not the source of the problem. That's just the way you go about achieving an agenda that's not what really about children. It's basically about corporate success. So that's one example. I, I forget the question at this point, so I think I should know. No, you're doing
0: just fine. So I, we're going to shift the Q&A in a couple of minutes here, and, and, and I've noticed that there have been some questions in the chat. Now, John, thanks for reposting yours, and we'll get to it in a second. Um, but uh, yeah. uh, let's talk about what people can do. Um, And and again, I know we're we're condensing here, and there's not a lot of time, but what what kind of advice are you giving people, whether they're parents or students or educators, about what they can do to make a difference?
1: Well, I don't have a one-size-fits-all suggestion here, other than basically platitudes about, uh, you know, find allies and organize, um, ask the deeper questions. Um, as opposed to just confining your responses to the allowable fiddling within the status quo, challenge the premises of the status quo. But other than that, it depends on what the issue is and it depends on who you are. So if your issue is grading and you're a classroom teacher, I have one set of responses. If you're a parent, and the question is uh, standardized tests. I have another answer if you're a high school student and the question is homework, I have a third answer you know and I've tried in most of my writings to offer examples of what what people can do um, and the only sort of generic responses that are consistent across domains are the kind of things I just mentioned now where you know organized don't be alone if you can help it. Uh, and and push harder. You know, I suppose one could add still other fortune cookie bits of wisdom like, you know, pick your battles or don't antagonize people unnecessarily, but do be willing to antagonize people when it is necessary. I didn't mean to
0: push like you that. into truisms, because we know where that would lead, right? So um, I, I, I'm going <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure. to lead you to writing we... a book about uh, why they're wrong. So, <laughs> oh, 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 I, so um, I think it was in The Schools Our Children Deserve that you have a good chapter on this topic of what people can do. And then that was maybe 10 years ago. And I'm thinking that it's in what does it mean to be well-educated that you also have a newer essay that kind of breaks down more things that people can do. Am I right in thinking that that's the case?
1: I think think all of my books have something on this. The homework book, which is the most recent one, uh, uh, the last two chapters are about what what to do about this. uh, and ex- the last chunk of almost all my books is something about what to do. And if you're interested in the whole standards and and testing fun- juggernaut, uh, I have stuff on my website, too, if you click on standards and testing, which has a list of very specific things people can do to organize, and uh, mostly drawn from examples of what people already are doing so that we can share ideas. and. You know, I I love finding an example when people talk to me when I go to speak at a given place and then I just suck it up and spit it out somewhere else. You know, one example comes to mind is some teachers in Indiana told me that they, they made a list of the remarkable curriculum units that they had been teaching, the stuff that was really exciting and engaging and important to teach kids that they were no longer able to teach because of the pressure to align their curriculum to state standards and prepare the kids for the standardized test. And so they made this list and gave it out to the parents. Here's what your kids won't be getting. Here's how their education concretely is suffering so that you'll know that if the test score goes up, you should say, oh no, what did we have to sacrifice to make that happen? I think that's brilliant. A brilliant example of quiet, polite subversion. And so whenever I get an example like that, and I've heard lots more, you know, I say, wow, uh, let me be a conduit so people who don't live in Indiana or in your particular district in I think that
0: was one of the themes that came out of that elevated discussion. You and Sir Ken Robinson and others, you know, basically please be willing to stand up and, and talk about this and question these things. Yeah. So we're going to move to Q&A. And if you would like to ask the question using the microphone, you can use the larger icon with the hand and the green up arrow. It's at the bottom of your participant window. And that lets me know you want the mic, and I'll give you the mic. While we're waiting for anyone to raise their hand, John asked, what about the dewey lens of education as social control, where society's values, good or bad, are transmitted to the next generation to build the continuity that a civilization requires and a common experience so we can identify with total societal strangers?
1: Well, that's a mouthful. Um, I have to go back to my Dewey, but I believe that if social control was used, he was using that critically as a description of what happens uh, not endorsing it as a prescription. He was not, Dewey was, was interested in education as one facet of building a democratic society, but democratic didn't merely mean transmitting a set of static dispositions, uh, beliefs, or, or or bits of knowledge, quite the opposite. I think Dewey was was asking us to bring kids in on uh, Learning as part of real lived experience in a way that could uh, challenge many aspects of the status quo, he was in many ways very, very radical, and i 'm sure you know five minutes after this conversation ends, I can find the perfect Dewey quote to encapsulate that, but he was I think Dewey was helping to helping people to challenge the 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 model of um, of earlier sociologists and others who, who thought of education as merely uh, uh, perpetuating social norms as they already existed and reproducing them in the next generation.
0: So we've had uh, John Taylor Gadow on. Uh, We had Kieran Egan on. They both sort of talked about this at some length. So, uh, John, if you wanted to look at those recordings, I think there is some discussion of that um, and and the question about uh, sort of the social control issue. Um, uh, Alfie, another question. How do you convince teachers in schools under threat of the NCLB hammer not to care or dwell on the standardized tests?
1: Well, uh, first, the first thing is to realize the difference between the kind of teaching likely to raise test scores and the kind of teaching that makes sense uh, to help kids become lifelong learners, deep thinkers, etc. Uh, we're in real danger if we don't even see the difference. And I fear more than anything else, I think, a new generation of young teachers um, who don't know the difference and don't even remember a time when there wasn't NCLB or its equivalent within a given state. And so they think a high test score is a good sign, a low test score is a bad sign, and their job is to raise test scores full stop. Uh, if you don't even have the sensibility to know what's being lost by this assault from the likes of you know, Bush or Obama or Bill Gates, uh, then there's no hope. So we have to keep alive in all of its immediacy and particularity the vision of a classroom that is truly alive with kids making sense of ideas and assessment that is authentic and rich as opposed to reducing kids to letters and numbers and test scores. Now, once you know that, then you have to do in the short run what you can to minimize the harm of the status quo, for example, by spending not one minute more than absolutely necessary on testing, uh,
0: and then getting back
1: to the real learning, and reminding parents of the difference between those two, while simultaneously engaging in a long-term process of political organizing to challenge NCLB and its equivalent, and remember, You know, this is the dark time we're living in, a time of race to the top and NCLB, tougher standards and accountability and data that eclipses children. But we have to remember the tests we are forced to give uh, and the system uh, of which those tests are a crucial part, this is not like the weather. This is not a fact of life. These are political decisions that can be changed. And wherever you are on the food chain of education, uh, student, teacher, principal, superintendent, school board member, your job is to be a buffer and absorb as much pressure from above as you can without passing it on to those down below. Otherwise, if you just are a conduit through which that pressure passes, you've become part of the problem. Some teachers are willing to really take a chance, take a risk. There there are teachers who have refused uh, to give out the standardized tests, uh, much less to teach to them. And I've written about some of these these people whom I regard as heroic. If 50% of the teachers in America got together and said, we cannot in good conscience be part of this system, not because we're afraid of being held accountable, but because this is screwing up our whole education system and here's what we propose instead that's real accountability. We could change this overnight. We don't lack the research or the logic to oppose uh, the standards and testing approach. I think in many cases we lack the courage to stand up for what we know is right.
0: So we haven't talked about it and we probably don't have time now, but I'll tell you I was intrigued by sort of uh, the degree to which openness for you is a solution. And it felt to me like it's kind of brilliantly recursive, meaning open with the students, uh, open to the goals and ideals and the, and the paths for getting there, and, and then open with others, meaning a willingness to be open and say, this is actually what I think. I, I don't agree with this. Um, we had a question mm-hmm. from Maria. And Maria, you dropped your hand. I don't know if you wanted to raise it again. Okay, Maria, go ahead and take the mic. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, yes. yes. Okay, thank you. Um, Well, sometimes you speak as if there is one system of education. You say if teachers dropped out of their system, there are in fact hundreds of communities and networks all doing things differently
1: not all of them are as loud as some of the people you named like Bill Gates,
0: but they exist and some of them are doing wonderful things, even some people here in the chat mentioned wonderful communities. Why are we focusing on communities that do things wrong rather than communities that do things right?
1: Well, if you're speaking about the United States, about which I know more, than, than what happens in other countries, um, I would say, although we haven't chosen a single system with a capital S, uh, it exists and is being imposed on us, uh, much much to our children's and our own misfortune. So while there are happily variations uh, in styles of teaching, what we are moving toward, and this is part of what I'm 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 raging against, as many of you are, is an increasingly uniform system now with what may be the final nail in the coffin of educational democracy, national common core standards, which makes it harder and harder to say let's just move, as your question suggests, Maria, to a different uh, place, a different community where we can do what benefits kids because there is this desire to not only homogenize, to confuse the idea of high standards with common standards and quality with uniformity, but to make this true by law so that you have to become um, a a, a rebel um, every day of your professional life if you want to opt out of that system. I mean, I suppose uh, the the world of private schools has less of this pressure, but even here it trickles down, so you've got private schools testing kids even though they're not required to by law. So yes, by all means, look around for alternatives uh, and create
0: them when you can. Alfie, you're uh, quite a personality in the homeschool world. Is that uh, an arena in which you have sort of welcomed that, or do you have any feelings about homeschooling? Well, homeschooling can be done
1: in many different ways and for many different reasons. Um, I am either unknown or disliked probably by the vast majority of people teaching their kids at home, uh, most of whom are doing it for reasons that I'm not comfortable with and in ways that appall me because they're reproducing the worst of traditional classrooms around the kitchen table. There are other folks who I think do it in ways that are more interesting and for reasons that I find understandable. So I have spoken at homeschooling conferences, just as I've spoken to educators in independent schools and in public schools, my thought being that however education is taking place and uh, by whom, uh, here are my suggestions for ways that we might want to do it better. while I certainly understand parents saying, uh, I've got to opt out, my child's going going nuts in this world of what's available in our public school, it's not something that I would want to endorse as a movement. And that, I think, has, uh, has, has led to uh, uh, some head shaking on the part of my otherwise allies in the homeschooling and unschooling movement. Because I believe that public schooling is a critical part a cornerstone of a democratic society. And politically speaking, I want to use more of my professional uh, energy to strengthening and improving and reforming public schools rather than urging people to take their own kids out and go off. I'm going
0: to give the microphone to Leslie who has a question. Leslie, you click on the larger microphone button at the lower left of your screen to turn your microphone on. And doesn't look like Leslie's turning her microphone on. There we go. Okay. You're on. Is this, Is this it? Can you hear? Yes. Great. So I agree that public schools are the cornerstone of democracy, and I'm a teacher educator. And I'd like to hear what you would like to see
1: happen with teacher education, because it's constantly under attack. Whatever you say, I'd love to hear. Huh. Well, there's... There's the question of how teacher educators can mobilize and organize against governmental pressure with things like praxis uh, pressure to just focus on content of knowledge instead of pedagogy focus on preparing uh, their the uh, future teachers uh, to raise test scores and keep keep kids obedient um, but uh part of it has to do with I'll, uh, with how teacher educators run their own classrooms, which sometimes involves complete teacher control and grades and uh, and other aspects of traditional education, which become the hidden curriculum and the real message that uh, young teachers take away is not the content, because we have this lovely unit on Dewey or Piaget, But what they come away with is that's the way a classroom is supposed to look. So the teacher educators haven't sufficiently questioned their own practice in presenting a model of how a classroom can look when the students actively participate in running it, when there's authentic assessment, uh, when it's not just about memorizing facts and so on. So that combined with um, collective action to stand firm against governmental officials who don't understand why you would need uh, a course in pedagogy uh, are the first two things that come to mind in this
0: one minute. Fascinating,
1: I'll and please. as always, I just want to add: I'm seeing some of these things stream by, written questions and comments that are so rich and challenging and seductive that I want to respond to each of them. But there's I, uh, multitasking is is a myth. Um, and there's only, I only have one brain. So my apologies to those of you who have said or asked interesting things. Um, I would help, uh, invite people to visit my website where there are more than a hundred articles, all for free, which uh, I can say for sure address many of the questions and reactions that people have had during
0: this conversation. So it is that AlfieKohn.com? org. org. Okay, I'm going to post that in the chat. There, thanks, Alfie. We're at the top of the hour. Thank you so much. I'm clapping for you. Uh, love your passion. Really appreciate the uh, the the depth with which you have uh, looked at these questions and the and the ways in which you challenge thinking. Um, personally, my bookshelf is weighted down with your books, and um, again, uh, prolific and with clarity, kind of an amazing combination. So really appreciate the contribution that you make. Thanks so much to you, and thanks to those of you who have attended today. Uh, Do look at our schedule for coming up in January. Uh, Really appreciate your being here. Thanks, Alfie. Thanks
1: to all of you, too. Thanks to all of you, too.
0: Have a great day and a great holiday, and we're going to let you go as we agreed to an hour, and we're two minutes over. Thanks, everybody, for coming. That was terrific, as usual. Um, great point of view and, and lots to think about. Um, and, I, and I actually feel like I've, I've been reading Alfie for many years now, and so very fun for me to be a part of this. Um, so this is it for a while. You can listen to recordings during the break. If you're so inclined, otherwise, we'll reconvene in January. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, and um, hope everybody has a nice holiday season, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. As usual, we do need to close the room out in order for the recording to process and I'll get that posted up later today. Take care, everybody. Bye now.